Welcome to the Living Out Podcast, helping people, churches and society talk about faith and sexuality. Hello and welcome to the show. It's great to have you with us. Uh, my name's Anne Witten and alongside me is Andy Robinson. Hi Andy, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing all right. How are you doing, Anne? I'm marvellous, thank you. Marvelous. Excellent. Um, I actually had a go at Pitch and Put the other day, uh, which Ooh. was brilliant. Really enjoyed it, but I was useless at it. <laughs> and uh, I understand you're a bit of a golfer, so I wondered if you got any tips for next time I play. <laughs> well, to be honest, my mates that I play golf with would be amazed that anybody is asking me for tips. But um, <laughs> basically, if you want a tip, it is keep your head still. Keep your head still, look at the ball, because uh, the danger is you move your head before you hit the ball, and that's when you hit it in the wrong direction, head down. Yeah, head down. Okay, so don't twirl around when you hit it, is that? No, head still, head down. <laughs> there you go. Come on. I, I, to be honest, I want to play golf with you, Anne, and I will just stand behind you saying, head still, head down. And you'd also win, so that's good. <laughs> I, well, yeah, I did, to be honest, that's quite a rare experience for me, so I'm very keen to play you. I think I was kind of mi- mixing up golf and ballet. It was uh, <laughs> it was artistic, but <laughs> yeah, a lot to learn. I think you might win on the ballet. <laughs> cool. Um, in this series, we're interviewing people who've written stuff for Living Out, uh, so that's why we're calling it Meet the Authors. Um, and we're meeting people who've got interesting stories and experiences to share. And we're really pleased today to have Ashley Hull on the show. So welcome, Ashley. Hi, yeah. Thank you. It's good to be here. Um, now, I've heard that you write fantasy novels. Is that right? It is true. Yes. Are you allowed to tell us what you're working on at the moment or is it secret? Uh, yeah, well, so <laughs> I um, I'm kind of playing with the relationship between magic and technology in the current book. Um Wow. in fantasy and sci-fi novels to to talk about far too broad a scope of literature all at once um <laughs> you'll usually either have you'll have magic or you'll have cool technology you never have both together which does make sense mm. because magic typically uh, it's a skill that you hone uh, it takes practice it might be a cost to the user whereas with technology you just need to be able to flip a switch or push a button so it kind of makes magic obsolete uh, but i'm playing with the idea of what if it doesn't what if there's a world where those two things somehow coexist which it's a lot of fun to write. I love imagining all the impossible things that you could do with magic and then also all the cool technology that seems like magic. So the blend is really fun. That sounds brilliant. Your hobby is much more interesting than any of ours. <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs> Ballet golf sounds like a good one. Great. Well, Ashley, we thought we'd uh, we'd get to know you a little bit beyond just the fantasy novels. <laughs> so uh, do you want to tell us what you do when you're not appearing on Living Out Podcasts? Sure, yeah. Uh, so four days a week, I work as a project manager for a digital learning company, which every time I talk about it does sound incredibly boring, but it is a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> taps into my love of order and organisation. So enjoy that. I also volunteer at my church. I help, I head up the youth team there. Uh, so that's you know varying amounts of time in my week, depending on what's going on. Um, but yeah, so serving the team and the young people. Great. So uh, what, are the, what are the main highlights of working with young people? Are there any particular joys of working with teenagers? Oh, many. Teenagers get a bad rap, but I think they're wonderful. They're, they're just so much fun. Um, 
I mean, personal highlight for me, uh, during lockdown, I had a couple of them who every Tuesday afternoon would come and sit in my garden. Just They were hanging out together and they decided to come and see me and they all apparently know where I live, which is slightly terrifying, <laughs> but in this case worked out. So I, yeah, I got a weekly visit from a couple of random kids. Um, so that warmed my heart. Clearly, we've done a good job building some relationship in there. Uh, but generally, yeah, I think... Teenagers are—they're fun. They're—they're they're interesting and inventive, and they see the world in unusual ways. I will say, um, and that's—I just enjoy hearing that from them, their perspective. That's great. So, uh, so do you want to tell us how you became a, a Christian then? Yeah. So I grew up going to church. I was the the nerdy teacher's pet type. So I knew all the right answers. <laughs> I knew all the Bible stories. I was. So was I. I was that kid. Yeah. There we go. We recognise each other. Uh, so I, I knew there was a good God who loved me. I don't think I ever really doubted that, but it somehow it just never seemed as immediate to me as the rest of my life. And I suspect that's actually a lot of people's experience. Andy's nodding, so teachers' pet types will understand each other. Um, yeah. I think particularly through adolescence as well, at least I, I see it a lot in the young people I work with, Like there is this genuine faith, a genuine desire to follow God, but... It, it's like the rest of life somehow gets in the way. It, just, it seems more more pressing or urgent or in your face or something. And then you come along to the Friday night youth group or the Sunday morning church gathering and you go, oh, yeah, I'd forgotten all of this. So that was that was very much me. I called myself a Christian. I could answer all my friends' questions about faith whenever they asked them, which wasn't as wasn't that often, but, you know, I could answer. Um, I never went crazy with drinking or anything like that. I was You can't see my air quotes, but it was I was a good Christian type. <laughs> uh, and I don't really have a moment where that changed. I know some people do. They can pinpoint a moment where they, they gave their life to Jesus. But for other people, it's more of a slow process, and I'm definitely in that latter camp. So I think throughout my late teens and my early 20s, I was moving towards Jesus. Uh, I was becoming gradually more aware of that gap between where I was and where I could be and increasingly where I wanted to be with him. And so then when I was around 20, I started to daily spend time with him. It was literally just 15 minutes at the start of my day. I would spend five minutes singing a worship song or two if I could fit that into the, the time slot. Uh, you, you're seeing the project management order yes, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so five minutes on that five minutes in the bible i was reading just one or two verses every day i was in luke's gospel it took me two years to read luke at that speed but it was good wow. uh, and then five minutes praying either about what i'd read or praying for one of my flatmates i had them on a rotation so i you know i pray for abby on mondays and dan on tuesdays and so on and that that was how i spent my time with god every day and uh, so looking back I think that is when I would say I actually began to follow Jesus. I, I took ownership of my faith. I chose him daily for myself rather than just going with mm. the flow of the Christian culture that I spent mm. a lot of my time surrounded by. That's really encouraging to to hear. And I guess part of part of the issue for you was is to do with uh, sexuality. Um, do, do you want to tell us a little bit about? how you began to be began to be aware of your sexuality and, and what difference that made in this story? Yeah, for sure. So, uh, again, more of a slow process than a moment of revelation, I think. So looking back on my life, I can see hints of same-sex attraction were there. Um, 
So just a couple of examples. Um, as all sane people do, I loved Disney movies as I was growing up. And uh, so some of the some of the princesses, I did, I wanted to be them. So Belle, for example, swinging on her ladder through the library is a, a great dream of mine. Um, but others of them, that there were some other feelings mixed in there that I didn't analyse at the time. But looking back, I can see that there were the the hints of something or the beginnings of something there. Um, or my family went to see this particular play once. I think I was preteen and I, there was one of the actresses there that I couldn't stop staring at and I didn't really know why. But again, looking back, I can see what was starting to go on. Um, then at 15, I started to date one of my friends and she was a girl. So that kind of clued me in a little bit. (laughs) Um, I use dating in a very generous sense there. She and I were, we were both Christians uh, although I think she was a bit less nominal and vague than I was at that stage. She was a bit further down the road than I was. So, yeah, we're both Christians. We both knew there was something wrong about this relationship. We both knew the Bible had something to say about it. So we ended up in this very secretive on-again, off-again cycle for the next three years or so, really, where we fluctuated between trying to obey God and giving up because it seemed impossible to not be in love with each other. Uh, so all of that was mixed in with my sort of following Jesus-ness. I was was confused. I didn't understand. I was angry. It seemed like I had to make a choice between him and her, and that felt very unfair. Uh, So, yes, my sexuality is very tied into my faith story in that sense. And it. so we we broke up eventually, this girl and I, uh, partly because she realised before I did that I had developed feelings for somebody else. And so this... (laughs) Timing coincided interestingly, I think. That was around the time I daily started to spend time with God. And mm. so, again, I was faced with this choice. Am I going to pursue a relationship with this new girl and see if she's interested? Or am I going to obey God? And that was hard. So I would come to him and I would say, I don't know if I can do this, God. I can't promise you my life. Mm. I don't think I can even promise you my week. But what I can promise you is today. You can have today. I won't pursue that relationship today. Um, and so we went on like that for, I think, the next couple of years. <laughs> Thanks so much for telling us that. That's, uh, yeah, that's really moving, actually. Um, in the art- article, and Anne's going to ask you a bit about the article, but you, you talk about yourself as, as bisexual. Um, do you think that feels different from being exclusively same-sex attracted? Are there unique challenges with that, do you think? Mm. I expect there are, although it's... Hard for me to say, obviously, because I haven't sure. lived yeah, it yeah. exclusively as a yes. experience. Yeah. Uh, the the thing I I think of is more a frustration than a challenge. Uh, but I'll talk about it anyway. There's definitely still that expectation on me that I will marry a nice man and settle down in the end. Mm. You yeah. get all the all the well-meaning older ladies in church who come along to mother you and pray for you, and it's beautiful. And then they drop in at the end, and Lord, would you bring along a nice man to share this journey with her? And I'm just, I'm just, I'm very happy, thank you. Single, this is just as much a gift as marriage is. I'm all good. You don't need to chuck in that additional prayer. Um, and possibly that is something that other people, yeah, possibly it's something they expect from me more than they would if I was exclusively SSA. I might be wrong. Uh, and it's obviously not the biggest challenge that life could throw at you, but I do find it frustrating that underlying assumption that marriage is better than singleness, that it's something that I need and should expect. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense, actually. it's um, Yeah, I think I remember before I was open about my sexuality, that was often a prayer prayed for, for me. And it, it can just be the expectation, can't it, that that's where life should end with a nice marriage and, and so on, whereas 
Jesus does seem to give great dignity to to singleness as well. Um, I, I guess, I mean, by the fact that you're on a Living Out podcast, you must be reasonably open about your sexuality. I imagine this isn't the first time you're telling anybody. So <laughs> do, do you want to tell us a little bit how that process was, what it's been like perhaps with friends, family, to be open about your sexuality? Yeah. Like if this was the first time I was sharing, it would be a way to talk about it, wouldn't it? It would, wouldn't <laughs> it? it? Would. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no. Uh, so, yeah, friends, family. Um, I mean, friends is, is just kind of it's when you're a teenager, you talk about sex a lot, so it comes up, really. Uh, so that was never really an issue in terms of my friends. My family didn't know at first. Uh, they didn't know until I was at university. I... I called my mum. I remember this phone call to, I, th- I said something like, if I had a kid, I'd want to know this about them. I'm a bit gay, but I love Jesus. So don't worry. You won't have to boycott my gay wedding. I think I just said that. <laughs> left that with my mother. Um, I don't think she was oh, particularly wow. su- surprised. She'd had some suspicions during my teenage years, but yet yeah, I'm less driven to hide it generally now than I was when I was a teenager. So my family and I will easily have conversations about sexuality now. They're all Christians. Mm. They all hold the same view on it as I do. So that's really helpful. We're all coming from the same place. Um, Yeah. And then in terms of church, so that's also generally been a good experience for me. I I wanted to be able to talk openly about this at youth because obviously it's an important conversation to be having with young people. Um, uh, But we wanted to to do that well we wanted to avoid any kind of second or third hand miscommunications in oh Ashley said this on a Friday night so what we did was I I shared with my whole church first so there were a few a few years ago on a Sunday morning uh, somebody else was talking about the cost of discipleship and so I came along and added a personal testimony to the end of it about my sexuality uh, and explaining that, that this is discipleship to Jesus costs me in this area and some things that I've learned through that so I was then able, after doing that, to be open with the kids at youth group too. And as I say, that generally has only really been a positive experience. People have only ever really expressed support and encouragement, which I know is not everybody's experience. So I'm very grateful for that, actually. That's wonderful. It, it's funny, actually, I think it ends up being more people's experiences than we, we think. I, I remember when I did something similar, actually, when I was a pastor of a church and we were actually doing a series around sexuality and thought, I probably can't do the one on homosexuality or same-sex attraction about other people that would just feel dishonest so I remember doing it as an interview myself with a kind of ah what's going to happen <laughs> and and actually like you it was it was overall a tremendously positive experience and I, I think we can be encouraged there are bad stories around but but often as people do share with their church it tends to be better than we we anticipate mm-hmm. Any anything else you you would want to tell us about your story, uh, Ashley? That we've not managed to uh, to cover. What what's it been like, sort of, with the church, sort of, since you you did that that testimony? Uh, I, I assume everybody knows, which is possibly not mm. the best idea, given we've got yeah. some new people who've arrived in the last few years. Yes. So uh, yes, that that could be interesting were I to engage sure. in that kind of conversation and assume someone knew yeah. and they didn't. But I haven't yet cause that drama um yeah mostly it's been at youth i'm just able to have really frank conversations with the young people uh especially those who i i know where they're coming from i know that they're in a certain relationship or they're identifying in a certain way and the fact that they know it about me as well i think Mm. 
it's just a really helpful starting place for us to be able to have a conversation because they know I'm not coming in and preaching something I'm not living. Yeah. So I, I find it helpful to, to have that basis in conversation with them. That's great. Thanks, Ashley. Living Out runs regular training days to explore sexuality in our culture, the biblical picture and how we can support same-sex attracted Christians in our churches. They're always really great events and give you a chance to hear the stories of real live same-sex attracted Christians who hold to the traditional biblical teaching on sexual ethics. If you're interested in coming along, the events page of our website has details of upcoming courses or you can get in touch with us if you're interested in hosting one in your area. Uh, welcome back. We've got Ashley Hull on the show today and um, she's written an article for the Living Out website called 15 Same-Sex Attracted and Christian. Um, Ashley, in that article, you really eloquently explain why you believe that following Jesus is worth the cost. Um, and I really love the discussion of identity, uh, where you say that who I am and what I want are two different things. I wondered if you could just sort of unpack that a little bit. Yeah, uh, I find it odd that our culture conflates these these two things, who I am and what I want or identity and desire. They're two different things. Mm. I think our sexual attractions be, belong to the realm of desire. They're what we want. They're something that we feel or experience. But culturally, we've started talking like these desires are our identity. Somehow the, the direction of my sexual desire becomes a core thing about who I am. And I find that very strange. I think if in that conversation you replace sexual desire with something else, so to be really flippant, right now I want a cup of tea, that desire doesn't act, it doesn't say anything about who I am. Mm. Or perhaps use something a bit, a desire a bit more permanent and less flippant than that. I want to be a fluent Spanish speaker. That's something that's been true all my life. It's, it's possibly part nature, part nurture. We, my pe- My grandparents lived in Spain for a while, so we visited them a lot. All this kind of, I've had all these influences. Um, who knows why, but it is a fact that is true about me. I want to be a fluent Spanish speaker. I have always wanted that. I have gained various degrees of fluency over the years. Uh, it's the most beautiful language that I know of. I will love Spanish my entire life. But this desire to speak Spanish fluently still doesn't say anything about who I am. It's It's a surface thing about me, like the fact that I really like books or that certain things make me laugh. It's not my core identity, you know? And so I think sexual attraction is the same kind of thing. It's a feeling, it's a desire, it's something I experience. It's not my core identity. I think who I'm attracted to doesn't get to say anything about who I am. It doesn't get to define me because only the one who made me gets to define me. I actually think if we can separate those two things in our thinking, that can be really helpful because the Christian sexual ethic can seem really cruel to gay people because we think it's telling them they can't be who they are, that they have to repress or cut out this core chunk of their identity. But if we can see that sexual attraction belongs under the umbrella of desire instead of identity, then instead of asking gay Christians to change or to ignore who they are, we're, we're simply calling them to do the same things that we call straight Christians to. We're, we're calling them to master their desires rather than being mastered by them or to respond to their feelings in a, a holy way, a godly way. So, yes, I just I, I think it's helpful if we can separate the two out. That is a really helpful distinction, actually. So how, how do you think, you know, if the things that we desire aren't definitive about who we are, how do we get at our core identity and, and how did that process kind of work for you? Yeah, good question. I think 
for me, it's going back to the source, for want of a better phrase. It's <laughs> going, I was designed, I was created, someone made me. He might have some things to say about who I am and what I'm for and how I work. And so it's it's going back to God and back to scripture and asking him that question, like, who do you say that I am? Because, you know, we can we can look in so many places for identity. And I mean, sexual attraction is one of the big ones in our culture, but we can look at anything. We can look at what other people say about us. We can look at what our monetary value is. We can look at uh, what we manage to achieve or what kind of family we have or how we feel about ourselves even. And yeah, so there's all these different places you can go, but it's all changing all the time. It, it's all malleable. It's all impermanent. So I think... If I am going to find some kind of solid place to root my identity in, it needs to be in someone solid. And I think I have found that only one person is actually solid, and that is God. That's amazing. And it was it was interesting listening to to your story when you you were talking about, you know, as a teenager, kind of young adult, sort of wrestling with your desire for a relationship with this girl um but also you know wanting to to follow Jesus and stuff so i guess there are sort of conflicting desires within all of us aren't there and you know i i experience same sex attraction the same so you know again there are some times where it seems like there is a choice about which way to mm. go and and you know where uh where we want our heart allegiance to be i suppose so for you how have how have you um sort of come to the point of realising that being loved by Jesus is better than being loved by anyone else? Kind of what keeps you going with that? Yeah. I am oddly grateful for those painful three or so years when I was deeply in love with this girl <laughs> I was in a sort of relationship with. Because even when things were really, really good with her, it was never quite enough. I mm. I always wanted more. And it, it wasn't something I could even put words to then, really. What, what it was that I wanted. But I know now I was looking to someone finite to satisfy something in me that was made for, for the infinite. There's that Augustine quote that's used all the time, but for good reason, something like you've made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. And I think that is true. I've lived that, just the, this restlessness, this lack, this unfulfilled desire in me, even when I was so deeply loved and cherished by another human being. And I've learned that only Jesus can satisfy that. It's, yeah, it's, as you say, there are, there are, we have these conflicting desires. We, we can want opposite things at the same time. And so it's going, okay, well, what, what am I going to pursue? How am I going to reconcile these things? And I found that only, only by pursuing Jesus and putting him first am I actually satisfied. Otherwise, it's just this whole conflicting mess of things I want and I never seem to get what it is my heart is actually looking for. So I think I think that's what I was made for. I think when, I, when, I, when we talk about design and how we were built for a purpose, we're built on purpose, I think being loved by Jesus, that's what we're made for. And it's what we're really searching for. It's, you know, we're after intimacy and all these things. And he's the place that we really find it where we're completely known and loved anyway. And the fact that he is just wonderful as well. This is coming back to your actual question. I feel I've segued a bit, but I'll come back. Being That's loved fine. by Jesus, <laughs> being better than being loved by anybody else. It's also because he is absolutely wonderful. He's more kind and more patient and more generous than any other person could ever be so being loved by him is better than being loved by anybody else 
I think I'm I'm I don't live, you know, in this kind of constant state of emotional fulfillment. I'm wary of painting that picture. Um so yes, sometimes I I forget that this is true or I struggle to believe it. I think we live in a well, I don't think it. It's true. We live in a very loud and distracting world. It's always trying to pull us towards other things. It's always telling us that we're missing out and real happiness is over here or over there. And it's really easy to buy into that lie. But I'm learning to recognize when I'm starting to do that and and come back to Jesus and ask him to be what he's promised me he is and maybe like preach to myself and you know read scripture and sing good songs and maybe just go for a walk with him and talk about my feelings and give it all <laughs> over to him you know it's yeah so it's not it's not a constant state of total fulfillment and joy but taken as a whole my life is richer for knowing him and putting him first and engaging in this loving relationship with him is it's just better it really is that's amazing it just like the kind of the joy does shine out of you it's brilliant um you're really encouraging me as well um and i guess like you're right life isn't always easy and i guess there are crunch times aren't there where you know the the culture saying one thing and you know we know and believe something else but sometimes that voice can be drowned out can't it what what is it that gives you confidence that God's word is true and that it's good? And are there particular bits of it that you sort of go back to 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 really stand on and, and give you confidence? For me, it's his track record. Um, I think trust, well, trust is earned. And I think God knows that. I don't think he expects it to all be there automatically. I think God is willing to earn our trust and let it develop in relationship. And he has earned mine. I know that he's good and his word is good and trustworthy because that has been my consistent experience with him for, well, I was going to say a decade, but for all my life, even those first 20 years or so when I was a bit all over the place, he was still faithful and good and trustworthy to me in those times. So it's been my experience. It's it's also, it's been the experience of all the people in my church who get up every Sunday morning and talk about how God has been good and faithful to them during the week. You know, you, you hear this from the Christians around you, or it's the experience of people in scripture, every person who ever dared to say yes to him, you know, they found out that he was faithful. They found out he could be trusted. So yeah, the, the more I know him, the more I trust him. I think that that is probably how it's supposed to work, that that you kind of develop this trust in relationship that you kind of lean on him more and more. And as you do that, he keeps on proving that he's able to bear the weight, you know, that he's actually really good all the way down. So his track record is is what helps me the most, I think. That's fantastic. And um, I, I love hearing your story and I love um, hearing the sort of fruit of your experiences, you know, some of this distrust has been really kind of hard fought, hasn't it? And your faith has grown through, you know, through pain and through suffering. And I guess in your work with young people, um, what you've got is really valuable to be able to share with them. And um, so I wondered just for the last bit, whether we could talk a little bit about, you know, what, what advice and what counsel do you give to young people who are maybe wrestling with faith and sexuality? I guess, what would you say to your 15, 16 year old self? Um, mm. How would you, you know, how would you help that young girl or young boy, possibly even listening to this podcast, uh, sort of start to grapple with sexuality, identity, that kind of thing? Yeah. I think the first thing I would say is um, that that wrestle is okay. It's the, the questions and the doubts are okay. 
and please don't hear that as a, a license to experiment however you want. That's not what I mean. More that God is really patient and he will bear with you while you figure this out. So for me, particularly between 15 and 20, there was just this process of, of figuring it out. And, you know, that took me five years plus. And in some ways, I think I still am figuring it out. But he's not like staring at his watch and tapping his foot and waiting for me to hurry up. You know, he, he's just he's with me. He's walking at my pace. He's patient. Uh, but I would also say he is worth it. He's so, so good. And his way is, honestly, it's better than any other way you could ever follow. And yes, be aware it will cost you. It will hurt. It's a battle. But it's a battle that's worth fighting. And he is worth having, even if having him means giving up everything else. Wow. You've got so much wisdom. <laughs> um, and yeah, you, you've really inspired me. Yeah, just to, to love Jesus more and to want to follow him more wholeheartedly. Um, so if that's what you're doing with your young people as well, then, you know, they, they've got a really good mentor and they're getting set up for life there <laughs> thank you we've come to the end of time unfortunately well not the end of time the end of time for this book. <laughs> uh, unfortunately that is all we've we've got time for um thank you so much ashley for for being our guest today it's been a massive privilege i've really loved what you've shared thank you so much for having me oh you're welcome anytime we'll have you back <laughs> Um, thank you to everybody who's who's tuned in and do remember to subscribe and rate us and share these podcasts with anybody that you think uh, might like them. You can read Ashley's writing and explore lots of resources on our website. Uh, that's livingout.org. And we'll see you next time. Bye for now.